Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to The Other Hand, a podcast by Jim Power and Chris Johns that looks at the major political, economic and financial developments around the world from a uniquely Anglo-Irish perspective. All our podcasts can be found at our Substack site and all good podcast platforms. Hello, Chris. Good to talk again. This morning, I think the podcast will be dominated by Irish events. We had the half-year exchequer returns just published. We had the summer economic statement from the Department of Finance just published. And that basically, it's not a deep dive into the economy, but really builds on the the last economic forecast from the Department of Finance and tries to lay out the fiscal parameters that will guide the budget, which will now be delivered on October 10th. Internationally, it's amazingly quiet at the moment. Uh, there's not a lot happening. There is uh, one trend that is definitely emerging in China. You know, we're seeing ongoing signs of weakness um, in various indicators. And I guess as the world's second largest economy, um, that is of some interest. And the other piece I think that is worth talking a little bit about is the fact that there was an article in the Financial Times in the last couple of days by Chris Giles, basically trying to answer the question, why are central bankers struggling to get inflation under control this time, you know, compared to previous cycles of interest rate tightening? If I may start with the exchequer returns for the first half of the year, it's funny, I think we will have three more sets of exchequer returns before the budget will be delivered on October 10th. So these that the half year situation is pretty important. The exchequer recorded a surplus of 258 million um, and that compares to a surplus of 4.2 billion in the same period last year. Uh, the turnaround or the decline in the surplus is exclusively due to the fact that I just wanted to ask you about that, Jim, because I've not seen 
in any of the analyses, apart from yours, mention of this. So I'm delighted to see it in yours. What does that say, given that the surplus is the difference between expenditure and taxation, expenditure and receipts? What does what do those returns yesterday tell you, if anything, about the level of spending and how much that's over or under budget? The reason why we had the decline in the surplus was because four billion was transferred into the National Reserve Fund in in February of this year. Okay, so that if if you uh, account for that, the def- the surplus actually in the first six months was a little bit higher than last year. Um, what's going on? There's incredible tax revenue buoyancy. On the expenditure side, I think expenditure is broadly growing in line with what had been targeted. So expenditure certainly isn't going out of control. One of the things that's actually helping on the expenditure side is the fact that a lot of the COVID-related expenditure that dominated spending in 2020, 2021, and indeed the first half, and indeed most of 2022 actually is now falling out of the system because most of those spending programs are ending or have ended. So spending is at high levels, but it's actually growing pretty much in line with what the department had forecast. Um, On the taxation side, there is an ongoing incredibly strong story. 40.9 billion collected in the first six months. That's up 10.9% or 4 billion on the same period last year. And that is, I think, an incredible performance because the first half of this year has been dominated by rising interest rates. A lot of, I think, pretty wild global economic um, winds and clouds have been blowing in the system. So there's lots of reasons why, you know, you, you might have expected some softening in tax revenues, but it's not coming through. And as usual, there are three dominant themes here. One is income tax 15.5 billion up 8.9% or 1.3 billion and that reflects the fact that the labor market is still on fire here um 2.6 million people employed in the first quarter of the year an unemployment rate of 3.8% and despite what um some people like to argue you know a lot of those jobs that are being created are actually quite high quality and given the progressive nature of the Irish income tax system, where you know the bulk of income tax is paid by the top 25% of earners, this ongoing buoyancy in income tax does actually suggest, number one, we're, get growing, we're continuing to see an expansion in employment. But secondly, the quality of that employment is very strong. The second, in terms of size, is corporation tax, 10.5 billion collected, up 20% or 1.8 billion on the first half of last year. So, you know, despite all of the warnings that have been made about the one-off nature of corporation taxes, about the vulnerability of that, etc., um the corporation tax picture continues to be very very strong and as I say, it is now the second largest um element of taxation, which is the same as last year. So, a good story. An amazing story, and I think that unusually for me, I'm going to quote a few numbers as well. This is normally your geek, Jim. I'm the flowery, imprecise words man. You're the you're the <laughs> forensic numbers guy. An old friend of this podcast, Seamus Coffey, is as one of the reasons, but the main reason why we've spoken to him in the past is because of his expertise in corporation tax revenue, and he does a very good job on Twitter of illustrating the story that you just very graphically just uh, described there. 
2014, so a short decade ago, we had corporation tax revenues of 4.6 billion, Jim. Yeah. And we're, we're looking at mid high 20s this year, you reckon? We're going to take in over 24 this year. Yeah. And he's actually done a little regression. Those of you of a statistical nature will know what a regression is. It's just basically fitting lines to data. And uh, he's not making this his forecast, but he's saying that his regression of what all of this data means, going back and the trends, the explosive growth and all the rest of it means for November. Okay, so remember, in 2014, 4.6 billion was the annual total. November is the big month for corporation taxes. And he thinks, if the regression line is correct, that in November, the number will be 5.9 billion for the month alone. Wow. Isn't that extraordinary? Yeah, that is that is absolutely extraordinary. Uh, These numbers are just extraordinary. His methodology actually got last November's number pretty spot on. So, um, you know, it's there. There is some uh, evidence to suggest that this technique is is accurate. So uh, this actually uh, flies in the face of something I said, I think it was probably about six, eight months ago, which was that the explosive growth in corporation tax revenues was probably over or could be over because the explosive growth in profitability of the top 10 companies was probably over. And the Department of Finance yesterday actually specifically mentioned rapid growth in profits. And I don't think the two things are necessarily inconsistent because obviously profits are reported with a lag. What happens uh, to profits this year will affect tax revenues next year, um, fiscally speaking. So I could still be proved right, but it, it's also probably the case that these companies' profits have been more robust than I thought that they were going to be. So that's good news for Ireland. Jim, we got a question about all of this, that only just now actually, in from a reader from Bantry, listener from Bantry, who asked us about the Department of Finance's uh, wittering on about permanent and temporary corporation tax revenues and the way in which it calculates this and the rationale for this, and how you'd actually decide what is a permanent uh, tax revenue and what is a temporary tax revenue. I'll put my sixpence worth in, but um, perhaps you'd have a stab at answering that reader's query. How do you go about, why do we split it in this way in the first place, and then how would you do it? Yeah, I mean, the Department of Finance yesterday was talking about a €12 euro surplus in the Exchequer Finances next year, and they said that is pretty much equal to what it would regard as the um, transitory or vulnerable corporation tax revenues. So 12 billion out of the 24 or 5 billion we're likely to collect this year is what the Department of Finance would regard as um, possibly not sustainable or temporary, whatever word you want to use. And, And I have to say, I think the Department of Finance really hasn't got a clue here. You know, it is finger in the air stuff. It's it's an educated guess, I think, more than anything else. But if you think about, I think, the logic driving what the Department of Finance is saying, number one, since 2015, we've seen a massive surge in corporation tax receipts. And, you know, that coincided with that Paul Krugman leprechaun economics um, comments, which he made in July 2016, relating to the upward revision to GDP growth in 2015. And what we saw happening after 2015 was a significant inflow of intellectual property assets into the Irish economy. Okay, so, and that, of course, generated significant corporation tax revenues, a lot of other stuff going on 
with those multinational companies. But the IP thing after 2015, so that certainly represented a step upward adjustment to the corporation tax take. So uh, the Department of Finance, I suspect, is sort of extrapolating from what happened after 2015. It's then looking at the breakdown from the revenue commissioners. And um, the revenue commissioners have all of this data down to a very granular level. Obviously, they don't publish it because there are confidentiality issues. Uh, the, the, the overall headline number is that 10 multinational companies account for 57% of corporation tax revenues. And I can guess, I guess you can look at each of those 10 companies and analyze as to how sustainable the tax revenues they're paying in this country actually are. Okay. Um, the third thing the Department of Finance is trying to model is the impact of the Pillar 1 and Pillar 2 OECD corporation tax changes that are coming down the line. Pillar 2, um, I think, has been implemented in January of 2024. That is basically a minimum corporation tax rate of 15% for companies with turnover in excess of $750 million. So that's Pillar 2. Um, that's pretty much done and dusted, as I understand it at this stage. Pillar one, I think, is the one that the Department of Finance would be more concerned about because pillar two actually could result in an increase in tax revenues rather than a decrease. But pillar one is the piece that I think would worry the Department of Finance. And that is basically um, they're trying to ensure that multinational companies pay a greater proportion of tax in the jurisdiction where they actually sell their goods and services rather than where the balance sheet resides. So, for example, if a multinational company operating out of Ireland sells into France, um, it pays corporation tax at 12.5% here at the moment. Um, what they're trying to ensure is that at least some tax is paid in the jurisdiction where the economic activity actually occurs. Uh, that is further down the road because I think getting political agreement on that will be more problematical. It will arrive eventually. But I think they're looking at these global corporation tax changes and saying, yeah, they do pose some question marks over the sustainability of the corporate tax take here. So that's my interpretation. Um, doesn't really answer your question, Chris, but I do think that is the sort of analysis that is underlying what is basically a guesstimate for that 12 billion of transitory corporation taxes. Jim, have you ever thought about going into politics? Absolutely not, Chris. Why? Because you're just very good at not answering the question. <laughs> yeah, I know. But Right. I'm sorry, that's me being very facetious, and I apologise unreservedly. I think that one of the things that our readers are interested and readers and listeners are interested in, uh, I'd like to draw your our readers' attention to the piece that you published, the written piece that you published on our Substack site about uh, the summer economic statement and the Exchequer returns. Take a look at that, please. It's uh, very educational and mercifully short, Jim, unlike my writing. The reason why we do this split between permanent and temporary tax revenues is probably obvious, but it's worth restating, is that it's very important that we don't bake temporary tax revenues into permanent government spending commitments so that we don't, for example, say, here's a tax revenue that only occurs this year and next, it's going to disappear in year three, but on the back of it, we're going to put up uh, TD salaries. Of course, one is very temporary, the latter is very permanent. So that 
doesn't work and leads you into all sorts of fiscal trouble. You run out of money in the years ahead. We've done that in the past. We did it with all of the property-related tax revenues from the original Celtic Tiger housing boom. Yes, we did have a housing boom, construction boom once upon a time, believe it or not, not that long ago. We baked in those tax revenues into permanent spending commitments and got ourselves into a lot of fiscal trouble. So the idea is a good one, is that we don't want to repeat that horrendous experience. The problem is the calculation. Because if you think about answering the question, what is a permanent corporation tax revenue? You have to know an awful lot of things. The first thing that you need to know is the rate of tax that you are going to apply to company profits in the future, which will be in your gift today, but any future government might change that. So how do you, what assumptions do you make about that? I presume you just assume it stays at 12.5%. That's actually the easy bit. You have to know going forward forever what companies are going to be in Ireland, what international companies are going to be in Ireland, what domestic companies are going to be in Ireland, what new Irish entrepreneurs companies will be formed, what companies will leave Ireland, what companies will come to Ireland. So that so you have to talk about corporate existence, and then you have to estimate all of these companies' profits forever into the future, and then multiply it by that tax rate. And you have to do things like you just said there, uh, think about changes in the international uh, taxation legal environment for profits. So it's impossible to do with any degree of accuracy. But in uh, in fairness to the Department of Finance, it's important, I think, to at least have a go at this from an educated guess, guesstimate point of view, because otherwise you do run the very high risk of repeating the fiscal mistakes in the past. But so that I think what will happen in the future is that you, you arrive having made a mistake with your inevitable mistake with your estimates of permanent and temporary tax revenues, but you want, when you actually realise the mistake that you've made, to be in a position of strength or at least to have some flexibility rather than running out of money. That's the whole thinking behind this, and I think that I would applaud this. But it's important to realise that there is absolutely no precision whatsoever behind the estimate. What did you say it was, 12 billion of temporary tax revenues? If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. 
Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Chris, yeah. I take grave exception to the political jibe you threw at me. I, actually, I knew you would. That's why I did I, it. I, I actually answered the question pretty much exactly the same way as you've just answered it. Um, I said, I said. I, I obviously didn't listen then. I said basically that this was finger in the air guesstimate stuff. And, and it was it was being driven by a number of factors, but you you can talk about you know the number of new companies that are set up. In my defence, Your Honour, in, in my defence, you didn't explain the rationale for doing it in the first place, which was actually my question. Oh, okay, Chris, I, I I'll accept that. I mean, the rationale, as you described it, there is that basically what you do not want to be doing is committing to public expenditure, which is always impossible to roll back on on the basis of tax revenues that will could disappear at some point. And the run up to 2007, 2008 uh, was the best possible example of that. And Charlie McCreevy's comment in the early 2000s when he was Minister of Finance that my attitude is, if I have the money, I spend it. If I don't, I won't. And, and that sort of sums up um, the mistakes that can be made. But I, I, I would fundamentally say, Chris, that you, you go into all the analysis about you describe about trying to forecast how many entrepreneurs set up businesses here. But when 10 companies account for 57% of corporation tax revenues, um, I think you devote more time to actually analyzing those 10 companies more than any small companies that might start up in Ireland. Because I think 85, 86% of corporation tax payments here come from the multinational sector anyway. So, you know, what indigenous businesses do won't make that significant a difference to the corporation tax take. Uh, but anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll let you away with James, that. If, if we were running the country, in the yeah. unlikely event that anybody would ever ask our opinion about this, one of the things that we would do about the future of the Irish economy is that we would end up, we would like to think, with policies that lead to the indigenous sector paying a lot more corporation tax, not because we put their taxes up, because the policies we would advocate would grow the size of the indigenous sector relative to the multinational sector to the point where it does become very significant from a corporation tax point of view. And I think that should be a significant aim of Irish economic policy going forward. I don't think it's going to be, but I think you'd probably agree with that, wouldn't you, Jim? Yeah, I would absolutely agree, Chris. And I've just written a piece in another context about the yogurt market in Ireland. Would you believe it? I do. And, um, over 60% of the yogurt we consume in this country, and we have one of the highest per capita consumptions of yogurt in Europe, uh, if not the world. We like our yogurt here. Yeah, we like our yogurt here for some reason. But um, over 60%, as I estimated, of the yogurt we consume here is actually imported. And for a dairy nation you know, that is really good at milk production, uh, that's a ridiculous level of importation. And I was sort of arguing that we need to stand back and address why we import so much yogurt. You know, why can't we promote the production of domestic yogurt? Um, you know, did you, have an, did, you, did you come up with an answer? Uh, well, I was basically saying that policies need to be put in place to actually support indigenous SMEs in this country to a much greater extent. And I've, I've spoken on this podcast many, many times about the SME sector, what needs to be done to help it. And I have always believed, or at least for some years, I've believed that if we really want to get serious about developing the SME sector, which I think we should do, 
that we should put a couple of things in place. One is those SMEs need a lot more mentoring support, particularly in terms of um, skills. And secondly, secondly, we should look at setting up an IDA type body with specific responsibility for the SME sector. And people will say, but we already have Enterprise Ireland, but Enterprise Ireland's role is to develop the export potential of Indigenous companies, whereas there's a lot of SMEs that will never export, but yet are important and vital cogs in the economy. But anyway, it's, a, it's, it's an interesting argument as always, Chris. But just to wrap up on the summer economic statement piece, uh, a few things need to be said. Number one is that the exchequer position at mid-year uh, puts the Minister for Finance in a very strong position going into the budget on October 10th. You know, there's a lot of money out there. And the question is, what does he do with that money? Um, I In the piece I wrote last night, I was sort of saying that this could possibly be the last budget before an election. Um, in theory, it's the second last budget because we don't have to have an election until February 25. But, you know, in the last year of a coalition's life, uh, very often they fall apart because the individual party components of that coalition start pursuing their own electoral agendas, which can often destabilize the government. But anyway, whether it's the last or the second last, there's the obvious temptation to go for a massive fiscal giveaway to try and um, curry favour with the electorate. But what Michael McGrath announced yesterday was that basically core public spending will increase by 6.1% in the budget for 2024, okay? Um, 5% is the target, but that target was ignored last year because of COVID. Um, I think it's been ignored this year. Well, it is being ignored this year. That is the intention. But when we talk about core public spending of 6.1%, that's an increase of about, I think, 5.2 billion, okay, in core spending. Core spending means spending on the provision of core public services. It's the increase in spending on health, education, social, not social protection, actually, but health, education, all of those core services we depend on. On budget day, the government will also announce increases in non-core spending. So stuff like social welfare increases, any other spending um, initiatives that might be introduced. So spending will grow by more than that. But the core piece is 6.1%. And the other element is a package of 1.1 billion is being provided for uh, a reduction in the tax burden. There's a couple of things I would say about that, that it's clear that the focus of that 1.1 billion in tax reduction will be on the indexation of bans and allowances, basically trying to ensure that because of wage inflation, um, a lot of workers don't move from the lower into the higher tax bracket. So the indexation of those bans is important in that regard. Um, the other point I would make is that 5.2 billion or thereabouts in expenditure, 1.1 billion in tax giveaway. What, what political ideology would you suggest that that describes? Well, I think that's probably a good rule of thumb for thinking about Sinn Féin's first budget. Um, probably tweaking up the expenditure component and, and um, decreasing the tax component, but 
the the basic point, which is that it's all about public expenditure with a tiny little bit of tax tacked on, um, is exactly the sort of budget that you expect Sinn Féin to introduce, actually. And in, in fact, that's a, that is the budget I expect them to introduce. Because one of the things that I imagine an awful lot of uh, coalition TDs are seriously depressed about is the amount of money they are leaving Sinn Féin to spend. And I guarantee you, that is what they're going to do. Um, there won't be much talk of prudence by a, a Sinn Féin uh, finance minister in their early days. All of this money that is being saved will be spent. I think we know where it will be spent as well. It, it won't be spent well or wisely. So yes, it is a very, it could, it's arguable that it, it, how left it is, but this is a very lefty budget. Is that the point you're making, Jim? Yeah, that's the point. I get really pissed off, Chris, with the, you know, when I, when I hear the left describing the current government as a fascist right-wing government, I've heard all sorts of descriptions. I mean, you judge a government by its behaviour, and this government can be characterised as a high-spending, high-taxation government. There's no doubt about that. So to describe, and that's fine, I'm not criticising it, you know, but that is as it is. Um, as I say, that really pisses me off, I have to say. Yes, I think that that description it does not stand up to scrutiny, Jim. Okay, I think we're probably out of time. Um, we're leaving a lot on the table as usual, but uh, let's leave that to our next podcast. Being great to hear your thoughts, Jim, as always, and I look forward to speaking to you next time. Excellent, Chris. Thank you very much. You have been listening to Chris Johns and Jim Power on the other hand. hope you enjoyed it our back catalogue of podcasts can be found on our Substack account www.cjpeconomics.substack.com or on podcast platforms such as apple and spotify if you would like to listen to the podcast free of advertisements you can sign up to our Substack account comments and feedback are much appreciated Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. 
Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. 